and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and, be, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Oreb, the mount of God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd bless the Bible study this morning, draw each of us uh, closer to you uh, through your word and by you, Holy Spirit. Be with the Sunday school classes downstairs, be with each teacher, all the students, just draw them closer to you. Pray for the morning worship service to follow and uh, the junior church hour as well downstairs that, uh, again, uh, we'd sense your power and presence in each of our lives. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with uh, Pastor Ethan today as he preaches in Connecticut, that uh, you would just use him in a very special way to speak to the folks down there and uh, just empower him, Holy Spirit, as only you can. Uh, just give him uh, guidance and give him uh, direction uh, as he preaches. Give him peace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 19 here. So look on your handout. We find the setting. Um, so last week, uh, if you weren't here, here's what we, we witnessed. So last week, Elijah had just witnessed a tremendous victory on the top of Mount Carmel, where he had um, challenged the 450 prophets of Baal. The Israelites also had witnessed the hand of God, and they would no longer halt between two opinions. And if you remember, at that particular time in Israel, what's happening is the Israelites are, are kind of worshiping multiple gods. Sometimes they're on the living God's side, and other times they're involved with Baal worship. And, um, and I mentioned last week, if you weren't here, when we were in Israel, and we traveled to the northern part of Israel to near Mount Hermon, uh, where one of the golden calves were, when you go to those excavation sites, they've excavated over the years, and they have found that not only was that the likely place of the golden calf, but there are several other gods that were worshipped there. It was like a center for people to come and to worship whatever type of god they wanted to worship. So the Bible, or the, the uh, handout goes on, it says this, so it was obvious to them that God, uh, the God of Israel, was the one true living God, and the gods of Baal were nothing more than the product of man's imagination. They would say in chapter number 18 and verse number uh, 39, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. So in addition to the fire of God running down from heaven and raining down from heaven and consuming the altar, as well as the slaying of the 450 prophets, Elijah had called upon the Lord by faith and for the first time in three and a half years it had rained. The Bible went on to say that it came to pass great rain. But now, here we are, one chapter later, after these amazing events had taken place, 
How is it that Elijah could stand face to face with the wicked king Ahab, stare down 450 prophets of Baal, and yet one woman, one evil woman, Jezebel, puts him on the run in fear of his life. It says in chapter 19 that he arose in verse 3, and he went for his life. I guess that shows you the importance of how a woman can, uh, a woman scorn. You want to be careful of that. What's that old saying at home? If mama's not happy, nobody's happy. But Jezebel is a wicked woman. And none of you have wicked women at home. Amen? Amen. It's good. Good to go. <laughs> but Jezebel, she is furious here. And, um, and Elijah, he runs for his life. In fact, he's in such despair that he wants God to take him, to take his life. In verse 4, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I have a dear brother in Christ who actually served in this church for years and went through a number of really difficult situations. He no longer lives in the area, but he and his wife faithfully serving the Lord elsewhere. And I can remember just sitting with him and praying with him and just him telling me, oh, I just want God to take me. I just, got, I just, want, to go, I just want to go be with the Lord. I just want to die. And I was reminded of that because... Um, as you know, I had mentioned church that some folks that we formerly supported, the McCormicks, have divorced. And I've been keeping tabs with Cedric and calling him now and then. And as he's gone through all of this, and uh, it's the same thing he said to me, the same words, I just want to die. I just want to die. And uh, even to the point and I don't think he'd mind me sharing this with you uh, because he's asked, he, he told me it was okay. Actually, I asked him if it was okay to share what he's been going through and, and, and trying to get his life back together. And, and I'm, not, I'm not even aware of all of the, everything that took place and why they divorced. I, I don't know all of that. So I'm not casting blame here on one side or the other, but um, I'm just trying to help and to minister and to get somebody through a difficult time. And I reminded him of my friend, my brother in Christ who used to serve here, who at that particular time, which is over 20 years ago, found himself in that place. And now today, here is 20 years later, serves the Lord, uh, has, um, he was actually going, he also is going through a divorce. He's remarried and been happily remarried for 15 years and is serving the Lord in a church in, in another state. Um, and so I guess the point of all this is sometimes you can get into such despair, like that's where Elijah is. And he had just gone through such a great victory. He just wants to die. And um, it, it, listen, that can happen with people. Uh, and I want you to see some things here in the life of Elijah and, and how God does a work in his life. And I think we can apply it to our lives. So notice in verses 5 through 7. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree. 
Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. So let me just stop there and look on your handout, point number one. So here's Elijah. He's got this real issue going on with Jezebel. She wants him dead. Uh, he wants himself dead. So he's got himself in this particular state of mind. So here's the first point to my lesson this morning. When we find ourselves in a situation where we feel this way or circumstances are mounting, whatever it might be, Listen, wishful thinking really never solved anything. Wishful thinking never solves anything. We could wish that the problems would go away and hope that they go away, but there are things that come into our lives that we just have to directly deal with. Let me just give you an example from my own personal life that just happened to me. And it could be all different types of things. It could be spiritual things. Could be physical things. You could run into financial problems, uh, relational problems, church problems, work problems. Wishful thinking just doesn't make them go away. So back in August of this year, I began in the middle of the night to be to to having these very sharp pains, especially in my left shoulder. It really began to bother me. Now I pretty much had assumed years ago that I had torn my rotator cuff in my left shoulder and in my right shoulder. And, um, and I'd lived with it all of these years. But it was really painful. I couldn't sleep at night. And so finally, uh, after I tried a few things on my own, I went to see a doctor. Because as much as I wished that the pain was going to go away, it wasn't going to go away on its own. So I went to see the doctor, and uh, he pretty much said, yeah, you probably have torn rotator cuff. And uh, I said, I'm pretty sure that I do. And uh, he said, well, go get an x-ray. So I went and got an x-ray, and uh, the x-ray said, yeah, you've got a torn rotator cuff. So then I went to see an orthopedic doctor because I wanted to see, well, what can I do about this? And he talked to me. He said, first thing I want to do is, is I want to talk you out of having any kind of surgery. And he said, the second thing is, you're 65 years old, just about any man who's 50 years old and older probably has a torn rotator cuff. Pretty common. And I would have continued to live with it. I've lived with it probably for 10 years, except the pain was becoming increasingly uncomfortable. So he said, let's send you to physical therapy. I went to physical therapy, and I went to physical therapy, and I was extremely skeptical. This isn't going to work. Now, I shouldn't be skeptical of a physical therapist because my daughter Lydia is engaged to a young man who's getting his master's right now in physical therapy. Anyhow, I've become a believer in physical therapy. They really helped me. They showed me things to do, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm making tremendous progress. But then the problem arose in my right shoulder. Because most of the physical therapy you're doing with both arms and, and whatnot, and so it began to affect this shoulder. So wishful thinking wasn't going to make that pain go away either. And just so you had to follow plans. So I said to the physical therapist, I said, 
Can you guys work on my right shoulder? Well, we would be glad to, but the doctor has to give us an order to work on your right shoulder. Oh. So you know how it is today. Often you make a doctor's appointment, you have to wait forever. So I said, well, I'm going to call the orthopedic. That was on Tuesday. They took me in on Wednesday, the next day. That in itself was a miracle. Anyhow, went the next day, and right in the office they can give you an x-ray. Yeah, you have torn rotator cuff there, and you got bone spurs. But you, then they said something else. They said, you know, your rotator cuffs aren't that bad. You have arthritis all throughout your shoulders. Oh. Uh, well, that explains a lot of things. So that was kind of encouraging to me because although I'm going to turn 66, I got to tell you, my shoulders made me feel like I was 86. No offense to anybody that's approaching 86. So anyhow, I start physical therapy and um, my right shoulder, uh, which is, I just started feeling better in my right shoulder because they told me I had pretty good shoulders. I just had arthritis. I just had to deal with that. So the point of all this is like, Wishful thinking never takes care of anything. If you have something wrong with you, you can wish it goes away, but one of the God's given people wisdom to deal with things physically and spiritually and financially. And that here was Elijah. And um, Elijah, he was just going to give up. It's just enough, he said, Lord. It's enough. Take away my life. And he went to sleep. But the angel of the Lord touched him and said, Arise at the end of verse 5. Arise and eat. I've got a journey for you. We're all on a journey. Amen? And I don't care who you are. There's some journey that you're taking right now. I mean, that's just life. We're going through life and God's dealing with us as we go through life. And so on your handout, we're, we're, we should always be mindful of this. That Listen, God will not forsake us. It's not going to forsake you. I, in fact, I heard Dennis just say amen. So right, I wasn't thinking of it until you just said amen. But I was thinking of Dennis's physical ordeal that he had to go through a couple of years ago. Next Sunday, a week from today, is the one-year anniversary of when uh, Kristen was in the hospital. And they had an airlifter to Albany Medical Center. And she almost died. And uh, things happen to people. And um, wishful thinking just doesn't make it go away. You have to deal with things. And Elijah had to deal with it. God, not, God doesn't forsake us. One example I have just on your handout, there's Joshua. And uh, Moses has passed from the scene. And Joshua now would become the leader of Is the Israelites and, and take them into the promised land. And look at the promise that God gave to Joshua. He said, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Now in the book of Hebrews, chapter number uh, 13, it says, God says, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. That's a great promise of God, isn't it? But that's the promise he gives to you and to me as well. It's not just promises that he gave to the Bible characters. It's promises that he gives to you and me. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. 
Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same tomorrow. God will not forsake you, and God was not going to forsake Elijah. God's got a whole journey yet here for Elijah. And uh, Elijah, at the end of the chapter, we're not going to get to it today, but Elijah, at the end of the chapter, is going to meet Elisha. He's going to train up Elisha. Elisha is going to take a mantle, and he'll be the next prophet that God uses. But God's got a whole journey here, and God's got a journey for you, and God's got a journey for me. And it's a personal journey. And whatever you're dealing with, just like Elijah, there's a solution, a personal solution for you. And there was a solution here for Elijah. So he wakes him up. And he says to him, listen, arise and eat. You need to get up. You need to have something to eat. And there God's provided for him. There's a cake there, bacon on the coals and a cruise of water. And so Elijah eats and drinks, but he lays back down again. And, and the Lord comes a second time. And he says, arise and eat. And then notice what it says there. Because the journey is too great for thee. I thought about that early this morning when I was rereading this. The journey is too great for thee. And that's really the truth about our journey when you think about it. There's a journey that God has for each of us. And it is our journey, but it's also God's journey for us. And so we can either go through that journey without the Lord try to do it on our own, or we can go through that journey with the Lord. And he really lays that out for each of us to choose. You know, Joshua would also say later on, Joshua chapter uh, 24 and verse 15, to the Israelites, near the end of his journey, and he's preparing the Israelites as he's going to pass from the scene, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then he said, as for me and my house, Anybody know how that ends? We will serve the Lord. That's the journey we all have. Will we serve the Lord? And Joshua would be on that journey, just like you and I are on that journey. But whatever it is that you're dealing with, God's got a solution for you. God is the solution. The psalmist said, In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. That's a promise that God has. In the day, whatever we, whenever we find ourselves in trouble, God has an answer. God's got a solution for us. So just remember that. Remember that in the life of Elijah, in the life of your life. When you run into situations and difficulties in life, listen, wishful thinking, it just doesn't solve anything. And uh, wishing it goes away or wishing the problem didn't exist or wish. And God is saying to Elijah, listen, you... We need to deal with this. And he said in verse 8, he arose and he did eat and he drank and he went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. Well, who provided the meat? God provided the meat. So in a real sense, he goes in the strength of the Lord. God provides the strength, whatever means it might be. It might be someone else coming up alongside of you, just being an encouragement to you and praying with you. It might be in your Bible reading time that God gives you that strength. Any number of ways that, that, that God will do that. 
But then we're reminded of this on the back of your handout. The second point is this, that listen, none of us, you, uh, we're not the only one with troubles. We're not the only one with troubles. What doest here, Elijah, verse 9? Look what it says. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What, 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 what are you doing here, Elijah? Now read verse 10. Verse 10, Elijah's got a problem in verse 10. I want you to read verse 10 and you tell me what the problem is. All right, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you that question again. So he asked the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, but the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Well, what's Elijah's problem? Well, that's what he's saying. He's, go ahead and say that again. Say it louder, though. Say it again. He's the only one of the prophets left, and they want to kill him. Well, that's what he thinks his problem is. But Jim, you have it. What is his problem? Eye problem. Yeah, he's got an eye problem. He's got an eye problem. Like I'm the only one serving God. No one else is serving God. I'm the only one that knows the truth. And here I am standing up, God, for you. And I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. And yet that wasn't really the case. You know what, he, you know what the problem was? He started to feel sorry for himself. Like, I'm the only one. Poor, poor me. This just isn't fair. Well, listen. Life isn't fair. We live in a fallen world. You know, that's just the world we live in. And actually, it's, it's a good thing that, uh, that God isn't fair. If God isn't fair, we'd be in, tr we'd be in trouble, if you think about it. And um, we live in the fallen world. Look on your handout. Job chapter 1 and uh, through, through Job chapter 3 and verse 26. This was, the this was the text of the second sermon I ever preached. And it was on a Sunday night. And Pastor Ainsworth gave me the opportunity to preach. And the first text I ever preached on was out of Mark chapter 10. And, but this was the second text. And um, we talk about a fallen world. So Job, Job, look what it says. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now look how it describes him. He was a man that was perfect, upright, one that feared God. And he eschewed evil. Well, if you had to be characterized by God, wouldn't that want? Wouldn't you want to be characterized that way also? And then we know what happened to Job. We don't have time to get into the whole story. But God said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job?" And then we know how he was afflicted. And look what it says in chapter 3 and verse 26. Job said, 
Well, I was not in safety. Neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet. In other words, Job's ministry, and when you read about Job's life, it was a public ministry. He helped people. He was involved. He, it was well known that Job was a man that loved and served God. He would have been the person that, that they would have looked to and said, oh yeah, look at this man. He is really a great servant of the Lord. And so when he says, I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, then he said, yet trouble came. Trouble comes. Job, uh, what did Job say? Um, oh, it just it was on the tip of my tongue about trouble. There's a verse. Um, I can't remember it right now, but he uses the word trouble. In it. And basically, trouble comes to all people. And um, wishful thinking never makes it go away. And you are not the only one with troubles. Things can change quickly, can't they? I just received a letter from our missionary, Max Harmon. And Max has been in Peru. This church has supported Max Harmon since Pastor Ainsworth was the pastor. I think the Harmons were part of the first group of missionaries this church ever supported. When the church was meeting over in Clarksburg at the old school, they started to support the Harmons. He's been in Peru, has had an extremely sex, uh, successful career in Peru as far as being a missionary, establishing churches, establishing a financial fund. He has had many opportunities to witness to business leaders and government leaders. And um, here he is kind of reaching near the end probably of his, minist of his ministry there, but certainly not the Lord's ministry there, because what and how God used him will be perpetuated in the years to come. That's how it's supposed to work. But in his letter, this is what he says. Please pray for Peru. There's a lot of unrest in Peru. There seems to be a lot of unrest. Well, there's always been unrest in the world. Amen? But in Peru, so here's the deal. In Peru, he says, when a president gets elected, He's elected for a six-year term. In the last six years, Peru has had six presidents. So that gives you the idea of the turmoil that's taking place there. Governments coming, going, coming, going. It's a pretty prosperous country. And uh, so he's worried about that. He's concerned about the trouble there and the impact that it's going to have. But we live in a fallen world and trouble comes. And Elijah is dealing with it here. He had a great victory in his life, just the chapter before. And now all of a sudden, the tide has kind of turned. And it's almost as if you can, you can get into the, well, God must have forgotten me. It's, that's kind of how he felt with that verse 10. You know, I've, I, I've been there, God. Well, look at verse 11. The Bible says, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Go forth. I should have, uh, uh, the second point too before I move on here is, listen, we serve a faithful God. Amen? Uh, we serve a faithful God. 
And uh, you know, one of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For there hath no temptation taken you, such as is common to man. It's right there on your handout. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way for you to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Whatever it is you're dealing with, God will be there. God will help you through it. He promises to help you through it. And it really brings us to the last point. Give your troubles to God. Go forth, verse 11. Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind, it rent the mountains and breaking pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there's a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Listen, God is bigger than all your troubles. Amen? He's bigger than whatever you're dealing with. But as I've always read this and I thought about the earthquake and the fire and the wind. And isn't it uh, that the case sometimes when we're going through trouble? We're looking for some huge event to just kind of wipe the slate clean and for all to go away. And you know what? It's not always that way. It's just a still small voice that says, the Lord says, this is the way, walk ye in it. You just have to just kind of get on track with the things that God wants you to do. You know, when you find yourself, for instance, in a financial, when you find yourself in financial troubles, I got to tell you, the answer is not playing the lottery. Because you know what? If you have financial troubles and you play the lottery, let's say you win. I'll guarantee you, if you don't get your financial house in order, sooner or later you'll have financial troubles again. You'll do exactly the same thing. Now you have to have your financial... God's got a, God's got a set plan and, and for, for all the things that we do. It's found in his word. And um, I was talking to... I was talking to my future son-in-law... And uh, we were talking about uh, marriage and premarital counseling. And, and, um, and I said, uh, I think he had said, well, could you recommend some books to read? And, and, uh, and actually, I, I said this to him. I said, well, listen, I said, I'm a little old fashioned. I said, the greatest book that you can read about marriage is the Bible. I'm not, I'm not against books that have been written by godly people who wrote on different topics. I, 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 and probably many of the books that I've read are, are a bit dated. So I said, you should probably ask Pastor Ethan. He's probably more up to speed on, on more of the current. I said, but I just think that if people would stick to what the Bible says and the principles that are found in the Bible and uh, take those principles and apply them to marriage and to relationships... Because the fact of the matter is, and again, please don't, I, I read a lot of books, um, and I'm not, I'm not against it, but most what authors say in books is just repeating what the Bible has already said. And sometimes they put it in a way that's very helpful. So understand that I'm not against that. Um, but first and foremost, you better be in the Bible, in, in the Word of God. And follow what God's word says and give our troubles to God because, well, well here, look, look, just under the subpoint A, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able 
to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Those are great truths. That whatever the trouble is, God is able, God is able to do all above what we ask or think. And he's got a plan for our lives to work it out. God, second sub-point, God is greater than all of your troubles. Jeremiah said, O oh Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by the great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Nothing too hard for thee. I'm preaching this morning about Abraham, and one of the things about Abraham is I think Abraham came to the place in his life where the only thing, the, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, the only thing that God thought was impossible for Abraham was that there was anything impossible for God. I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. In other words, he says, there's just nothing impossible for God, because God is God. But take your troubles and give them to God. God's bigger than all your troubles. He's greater than all your troubles. So here, they, here he was, and, and the Bible says it, it wasn't in the wind, it wasn't in the earthquake. It was just a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, he went out, he stood in the entering of the cave, and behold... There came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And here, verse 14, he still hasn't quite gotten this yet. Well, I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts because of the children of Israel. They've forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars. They've slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So Elijah's got this whole journey ahead of him that he's ready to give up on. And it shall come to pass that him that escaped the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Because you're not the only one, Elijah. There's 7,000 more that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And this Elisha fellow you're going to meet up with, he's going to become a great prophet as well. There's a whole journey in front of you. And there's a whole journey, I don't care how young or old that you are, there's a journey that God still has for you. You're on that journey. And just listen for that still small voice. So as we often look for some miraculous event in our lives, the answer to our troubles we're facing, just as the Lord was not in the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, I've already said that, the still small voice. Jeremiah said, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So listen, maybe you're not dealing with anything today, but I can guarantee you sooner or later you'll be dealing with something. Whatever it might be, just remember Elisha or Elijah and how Elijah dealt with it. And don't, don't get caught up and discouraged. Uh, Elijah's a great example of why not to be discouraged, to move forward and uh, to just trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're
are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.